The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live from here in Tallahassee on 89.7 FM and streaming on live online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and last season, many of us thought that FSU's 27-10 loss to Miami was the worst we're probably going to see in this rivalry. But this weekend, this weekend's historic loss to the Canes may indicate that the Knolls have reached rock bottom. We'll get into talking about the FSU-Miami game along with the Lakers Heat Finals matchup and some MLB playoffs in just a moment. But first, as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Austin Reynolds. Austin, I don't want to have to bring it up for, I think this is the second week in a row now, but your Falcons, they blew another game. They ESPN's win percentage, or probable win percentage, had them at around a 99 again in this week's game against the Bears. The Bears brought in Nick Foles late in the third quarter, and that was it. And Nick Foles won the game for the Bears over the Falcons. How much longer does Dan Quinn have before he gets the boot? If recent reports from Ian Rappaport are to be believed, uh, these have come within the last hour or two, then DQ's leash is two games. The organization is reportedly looking at the next, the Monday night football game against the Packers, and then the following week, the Falcons play the Panthers at home. And if things don't get better before those two games are up, then word on the street is that he's out of here. I know that Arthur Blank is not one to fire a coach mid-season. He waited until uh, the end of the tumultuous 6-10 and 10 season in 2014 to fire Mike Smith after going 4-12 and 12 the year before, which, I mean, <laughs> that, that put me through a lot of undue stress, undue uh, anxiety. But, I mean, after two 15-point uh, blown fourth-quarter leads in a row, I am honestly surprised he still has a job today. I just feel so bad for you, man. They just keep <laughs> they just keep knocking you down. Like yeah. they bring you up every single week. They get a nice lead. They start to get some confidence. You were playing Mitchell Trubisky. I know. And I was thinking, oh great, they got this one in the bag. And then Nick Foles comes in and is like, oh no, things are not going the yeah. going the right way now. But hopefully your Falcons get it on the right track. It sucks to really see them kind of keep going through this every single week. It feels like now, but. Let's switch it on over now to someone who we have not had on in a long time, Sebastian Angel Riano. We're happy to have you back in studio. You're in the fish tank, actually. Now, Austin and I, we are still wearing masks. We are more than six feet apart, and we are in the DJ booth. But, Sebastian, how are you feeling about your Lightning's chances in this Game 6 tonight against the Dallas Stars of the Stanley Cup Final? Well, Gary, I have a lot of memories in this fish tank. Uh, I remember pretty vividly, actually, my first time in on September 27th, I want to say. So it's almost been, it's now been four years since I entered the, the fish tank for the first time and did my first ever shift here at um, WVFS uh, Tallahassee. And I had jitters then, and now I have jitters now uh, for, for different reasons, and it's that series that you're talking about. Game 6, uh, Dallas Stars, Tampa Bay Lightning. I am a, uh, as we were talking before the show, I am a very, very superstitious uh, individual when it comes to specifically the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, they are a team that is very, very close to my heart. Uh, one that they've broken a few times over the past five years since their last Stanley Cup final appearance. But um, I'm, I'm ready as I'll, I'll ever be for Game 6. It's, whew, man, uh, nothing is for granted. Nothing is ever for granted with Lightning Hockey as uh most of the hockey world will ceremoniously remind me of last year when they were blown out of the water um, by the Columbus Blue Jackets, a demon that they've 
fend it off this uh, this uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, but um, we'll we'll see how it goes. I am uh, I'm 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 ready. It's been a great series so far, in my opinion. Watching from a neutral fan perspective, back to back overtime games. I mean, these two teams are the best teams in the Stanley Cup in the league, and they deserve to be here. So, really, for me as a neutral hockey fan, I'm happy with whoever wins this series, but. I'm going to prefer Dallas as a Florida mm, Panthers okay. fan. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry I had to do that. But let's keep it on moving now. We got Gabe Tisnes, the V89 Summer League MVP, in my opinion. Uh, Gabe, we're glad to have you back. And how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, actually. <clears throat> my dad came over this weekend to spend some time. We we really get to see each other because he, he lives all the way in Oklahoma. So he took a little a little trip down here. To watch the game with me and sadly uh, that didn't really pay off but other than that I'm pretty good I would say um, enjoying just being able to see everyone and things kind of are getting better in my opinion so yeah pretty good well we're glad to have you back glad that you had some nice family time this weekend but sad that it had to take place during yeah. <laughs> the FSU game uh, we also have V89 rookie Maxwell Rund on Twitter tonight at talk underscore Tomahawk so get on there show him some love and give him a follow so we got a we got a good show. We got a packed show tonight. We don't. I think we're even bumping NFL off this week's show, which is crazy. Something that we never do during this time. But it's very rare that we ever have the NBA Finals, the MLB playoffs, NFL regular season, and college football regular season all taking place at the same time. So I'm loving it. We got a packed show for you guys tonight, Austin. How do you feel about just the amount of content that we have? It's great, honestly. I mean, we've had uncountable uh, sports equinoxes over the past few weeks just because all the postponements have come in around the same time. Sports have gradually been coming back over the past two months. So, I mean, there's been no shortage of stuff to fill my night with. It's, oh my gosh, it's been a lot. Like, tomorrow, I think, is going to be the first night in a long time that we are going to have a quiet night. And even then, we still have the presidential debate. And then we also have the start of the MLB playoffs. A lot of the AL clubs get their start tomorrow afternoon and evening. But, Let's get on to some NFL, or some, sorry, it's not some NFL football, some FSU football. I'd rather be talking about FSU football uh, right now. I think we all would. But, man, that game was just, I, it was pitiful to watch. And FSU, they fell to the Miami Hurricanes for the fourth straight year, this time losing by a, a historic 52-10 to 10 in uh, Miami Gardens down at Hard Rock Stadium. And then from my point of view, there really weren't any really redeeming factors from this game. There was a, were, Are there any takeaways that we can come out of this one and say, hey, that was a positive right there? The only one that really jumps out to me is freshman running back Lawrence Toafili. He was part of a big uh, youth movement in the second half when the game was really out of reach. Florida State started putting in a lot of their freshman underclassmen players. And he had eight carries for 64 yards, comes out to eight yards a clip. So pretty impressive performance from him there, even though it was against guys of his same caliber. Miami started replacing their starters around midway through the third quarter. So not against the the stiffest competition, I will admit, but in a game that was pretty much devoid of positive uh, points to look at, he was definitely the, the lone shining star for me. He was a pretty solid player. Gabe, was there anything that you found other than Telefili uh, that was a positive from this game for FSU? Um, I've had the pleasure of joining the FSU this past semester, and it's been a pleasure writing every article, but this was one that I was kind of <laughs> <laughs> not looking forward to writing as the game went on, and I, I really struggled with finding anything positive from this performance. It was pitiful, pitiful, like you said, and there's just more questions and no answers. Uh, I, I really 
struggle to, to find any players that give me hope for the rest of the season, and the coaching staff still uh, has yet to display any, any show, showing of leadership or a new system to give fans hope. So, sadly, no. I'm going to say maybe the only positive that we could draw from this, and even from a Mike Norvell perspective, the only loss that you can make, or the only uh, positive you can take away is that he didn't lose this game. It, Mike Norvell did not lose this football game. He does, does not go on his record as 0-1 against Miami or 0-1 against a rival. Wait a minute. I was listening to the, the on-field reporter before the game started. I forget her name on ESPN, ABC, uh, wherever the game was. She said that despite Norvell not being present for the game, it still would go on his record. I, I don't know if that's official or... I'm not... This isn't going on my record. It's not <laughs> okay. not, not on mine. He's okay. He was not there. He was not on the sideline. If you are not on the sideline as a coach... I know you could say a Hugh Freeze for Liberty. Technically, he was not on the sidelines yeah. last year for the first few games when he was actually in a hospital bed mm-hmm. up in the press box. But I don't really count this as a Mike Norvell loss against Miami because there's there's so many weird circumstances that come along with this game and that everything kind of combined and made this perfect storm, at least perfect storm for the Hurricanes. Yeah. But uh, if you could just go down the line on these statistics, Miami just outclassed the Seminoles in every single category. First downs, 33-23 to 23 Miami. Third down efficiency, 11 for 18 Miami. Six for 14 for the Seminoles. Fourth down fourth down conversions, three for four for the Hurricanes. 0 for two for the FSU. I mean, it just keeps going on and on. 517 yards total offense for Miami. 330 for FSU. Where is this team going next? Where is there any up because I know we'll get to them a little bit later. We'll get to Jacksonville State in just mm-hmm. a moment. But other than that game, is there any way this team can start moving in a positive direction? I really don't think so, because immediately after Jacksonville State, you get the rude awakening of playing Notre Dame. So that's that's not the greatest game to have after what we assume will be a rebound game for Florida State. I mean, looking at the two games that have been played so far this season, nothing can be really taken for granted. So, I mean... With looking at the the schedule for Florida State as it as we go on through the season, it's looking really bleak. I agree. Or Gabe, is there anything that you can find maybe as a chance for FSU to kind of move up upward? I I, am, <laughs> I cannot lie. I really <laughs> struggle to find anything positive today. I am still in shock of <laughs> how bad they just came out on Saturday. Like. It's Miami, Florida State. It doesn't get any any better than that. And to just really not show any heart. Like, I know some people mentioned that in the second half. They they showed some resiliency with not uh, letting them continue their their dominance over them. I, I, I do know that they actually, what was it, they didn't allow any points in the third quarter. But the score was still 52-10 to 10 at the end of the game. So, if they showed resiliency and they still lost 52 to 10, then what does that tell me about the team? You make a great point there. And you say, well, with it's Miami, Florida state, those two words, that matchup should wake up any player on either of these two sides and get them going. And this really does sound like the stupid kind of post game analysis take here, but it did not feel like FSU wanted this game and it feels like the hurricanes wanted it more and it's something that you i hear and kind of roll my eyes every single time i hear any sportscaster kind of say that take but for once i really do feel that way and and like am i really wrong there like it feels for like once in a while i'm not wrong with this one i really don't think you're wrong here i mean i saw 
immensely more effort from the Miami players than I did the Florida State players. I mean, players on FSU who you think would be the ones to step up were absent. You saw Marvin Wilson get ejected for targeting, I believe, in the second in the second half. He will miss the first half of the Jacksonville State game. So, I mean, he's been honestly invisible on defense the first two games of the season. So for him to be the veteran that he is and make that kind of inexcusable play is really, um, I, I said it before, but in, inexcusable. So there was that. Tamari and Terry was held to zero catches for zero yards. I mean, just going down the list, it, it didn't seem like anybody on this team was inspired. Well, you mentioned Terry, zero catches for zero yards. He really did not have his legs under him this week. He wasn't really able to practice till this past Friday. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to give him a pass on this week as well, just like Norvell in my, or I don't know about giving a pass on Norvell, but uh, you can give a pass to Terry because he really was not feeling himself after leaving the v, or the Georgia Tech game early with a leg injury. Mm-hmm. So he kind of gets that little, the pass there. But when he did, he did have one touch though, I believe this game, and it was a jet sweep to the right side and he got stopped for four, he got a, a, stop, a loss, sorry, for four yards. Right. He just was not present really at all and I know he probably didn't take as many snaps I didn't notice him all that much mainly because he didn't get as many targets really but Gabe is there anything that you could see Terry doing in these next couple of weeks to maybe get him going or do you really think it was just this injury that has kind of stopped him from his for his his progress this season unfortunately for any receiver there's things that have to happen for such receiver to get the ball and that starts with the trenches the old line needs to be better in pass protection and then james black needs to be better with his read too many times have i seen them not just this year but previous years lock in and one receiver and if that doesn't really work out then just start scrambling away and unfortunately for trauma terry it doesn't really seem like he's locking in on him so if those things don't happen, he doesn't even have a chance of getting a ball. So if he gets healthy and then some of those things kind of get better, then perhaps he can actually have a chance. But right now he doesn't. You got to make a good point. James Blackman, like you said, really didn't do his part, obviously because this offensive line just one's not present, I'd yeah. say. How many sacks was it they gave up in this game to the Canes? But uh, Gabe, did you have a number? Six, I believe. Six, there you go. It. He had no time to get the ball out. He had nowhere to go with it, mainly also because the Canes' defense was looking stellar that night. But his stat line just wasn't great. He, he didn't, completion-wise, it was okay. It was 16 for 26, 120 yards, one touchdown, and one pick. He didn't really seem to have any of that pocket awareness that you kind of look to when you're talking about quarterbacks because... I know this is something that a lot of people knocked Ryan Tannehill for back in the or when he was with the Dolphins. It looked like he never knew when the pocket was collapsing until the pocket collapsed on top of him. So, is this loss James Blackman's fault again, or are we going to keep letting it slide and keep giving him the start? It's not entirely his fault, but he did play a large part in this loss because he was not accurate really at all uh, outside of that first drive where, I mean... We talked about the FSU's first drive against Georgia Tech that looked halfway encouraging. Uh, it was the same story here against Miami. They were getting creative with play calls involving Jordan Travis, putting him at wide receiver. They lined him up there. Um, so encouraging stuff on that first drive. But outside of that, Blackman was, like I said, inaccurate, um, taking sacks when he shouldn't have. Uh, he was one of three quarterbacks to throw an interception in this game. Every quarterback that saw the field threw one. 
So, I mean, it was just really sloppy play from him, so he's not the sole reason, like I've been saying before, but he was not doing FSU any favors. Gabe? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't think any quarterback can really just come in and, and play lights out on it with this O-line. No. The whole team, it, it just, it's just not there. And so, for me, he's not the sole reason why the Noles lost. But, I mean, quarterbacks nowadays get a lot of blame and a lot of glory for, for their play. And I think James Blackman is a player that has been here before. And the team has kind of lost faith in him, in my opinion, because the way they came out, he's got to be more of a leader for this team to, to actually improve. Because if, he, if, if it's not him, and if it's not Marvin Wilson, because we've seen him be the leader before, but it, it doesn't seem like this season he's up for it again. So who's going to be the leader? Who's going to step up? You mentioned that they lost. You're thinking they're losing faith in Blackman right now. James Blackman has been the guy, like the yep. guy that everyone has rallied behind every single year. I feel like his freshman year they rallied behind him because of the DeAndre Francois issue. His sophomore year they rallied behind him still because people thought he should have been the starter over DeAndre Francois in that sophomore season. And then last year people still rallied behind him because of the uncertainty of that year with Willie Taggart coming in off a subpar year and FSU needing to win then and now. But is I really don't, I don't know, I don't believe they're losing faith in him just yet because he's been this guy and he's been here for the program and he hasn't left. Because I've said this every single time, he if, if he wanted to leave, he would have left by now. Because there's no reason why he would just sit here and keep taking this beating. He loves this school, I believe. He wants to be here and he wants to be here to help it turn around. I But you do make a good point because it, this team just is flat and there's no real reason why or how right that we know of as to why it's going this way. So I don't know, Austin, is there anything that you can think of maybe? Nothing really. No. I mean, with regards to the team still being sold in on James Blackman or bought in on James Blackman from the outside looking in, I mean, I respect his dedication to the program. Like you said, he could have left if he wanted to. He was not a Willie guy. He obviously did not mesh well with Willie Taggart and his coaching staff. So, I mean, props to him for staying through that, staying through the, the beginning of the Norvell era so far. But, I mean, outside of his devotion to this program, what he's putting out on the field is nothing that I would really be confident in, even if I were a player. Like, mm -hmm. I would respect what we mentioned, but, I mean, I would al always be looking at the the other side of the, the field. Uh, the grass is always greener over there. Exactly, but... One, and we can keep talking about the quarterback play here because Florida State played not one but three quarterbacks this weekend. They played uh, Tate Roadmaker, the freshman from Valdosta, and they played Jordan Travis as well in this game. Tate Roadmaker went 5 for 9 with 47 yards, averaging 5.2 a pass with a pick. All, all three quarterbacks that played in this game threw a pick. Technically, by statistics, statistically speaking, Jordan Travis was the best quarterback of the night, having a 60.6 QBR. And that was really only because of his running ability and what he did there because he only went one for two with 12 yards and uh, that and a pick, really. So not really anything too impressive, but Gabe, what did you see out of Tate Roadmaker? And do you think there's maybe a chance we can see him be starting this game against Jacksonville State? Oh, it's way too early um, for Roadmaker. If, if it was Purdy, maybe, maybe. But even then, he obviously Purdy's still, uh, I think he's practicing now, but he's still uh, ha having to catch up uh, because he's also a true freshman. And then Jordan Travis, I believe, got injured during the game, so we'll monitor how his the status comes during the game. But 
I think James Blackman's going to be starting again uh, for the North on, on Saturday. Awesome. I was having this discussion with my dad after the game, and I said that I would lean Rotomaker going into JSU just because, I mean, you saw a little bit from him in the Miami game. Maybe you would put your faith in him uh, for this this out-of-conference game. And my dad, the, the night of the loss, said, oh, I'm, I think they're going to stick with Blackman. But when we talked yesterday, he said, probably going to look at uh, Rotomaker. So we're both in the same camp there. Um, I would like to see more of Rotomaker because I frankly have seen enough of James Blackman. I, he's pretty much a known quantity on this team. And while I have faith in him to play well enough to get a win versus Jacksonville State, I don't have confidence in him to get a win versus any of the ACC contenders or even any of the ACC teams that Florida State should beat. So put Rotomaker out there. Put Purdy out there if he's healthy, which I have doubts about. But I, I would like to see something new. I would like to uh, see. I actually ha- oh, sorry, I have a Go. question. So since we have Notre Dame, or I should say the Nolans have Notre Dame up next, let's say Broadmaker comes in and gets the win against uh, Jacksonville State. Do you trust him to go against Notre Dame, or do you trust James Blackman more? Because it would be kind of weird to just switch back to the Blackman in that situation, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, go ahead. You make a very good, that's a very good question, Gabe. And it's, I would still more or less lean Blackman if that situation happened where Tate comes in, plays well against JSU, and then you flip it to Blackman for Notre Dame just because Blackman obviously has that bigger game experience, and you can't say one guy's better than the other off a win against an FCS school who's coming off a mediocre 6-6 a six and six season last year. So it's a really tough barometer to measure against, but I would still probably be leaning towards Black, going Tate than Blackman in, if, in the event of a win against JSU for Tate. I honestly think that flip-flopping quarterbacks like that between games is uh, a good way to actually lose the locker room if it hasn't been lost already. Um, if if Rotomaker does get the start against JSU, like we're saying, then I if, if, if he impresses in that win, then I would actually start him against Notre Dame. And if he flounders, which, I mean, it's Notre Dame. I would expect him to. He's a true freshman quarterback. If, if he struggles there, then I would put Blackman in, but that would be on an if-necessary basis. My only concern with starting Roadmaker in the game against JSU and then a game against Notre Dame is that you're getting very close to burning that red shirt. True, true. Because it's four games for the red shirt. So once he gets to that, or once he exceeds four, then it's done. He's a freshman next year. He'll be a sophomore. But mm-hmm. luckily, they do still get that extra year of eligibility yes. due to whole COVID-19 and the NCAA being nice for once. And they have Purdy on the back burner as well. So Exactly. Gabe, what is your answer to your own question? Huh. You kind of convinced me, not going to lie. I, I do like the idea of Rodemaker coming in and, and giving the team some hope winning against Jacksonville State on Saturday. But then you got another team. <laughs> and, I mean, I think either, te- either quarterback's going to struggle mightily against the Fighting Irish. But maybe Rodemaker comes in and, and the game's close the first <laughs> quarter, and then who knows? I, I think maybe it is time to to give Rodemaker a chance. And I mean, personally, if I was the coach, I would go with, with Blackman, but but I'm not. So as a fan, I, I wish Rodemaker would get the chance. I would like to see him get that chance too, just because it's something new, and it's not Jordan Travis, who we know is only going to run the ball. It's not yeah. James Blackman, who we know is just going to be taking sacks all day. And it's something, I don't know, it would just feel different because that's something that we've been here for the past four years. Or, yeah, this is really year four for us. Mm-hmm. We've only known James Blackman as our quarterback. And we just keep watching the same thing every single year. And it keeps happening. And we keep doing it again. 
And that is literally the definition of insanity, is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, but getting the same each and every time. Is how have these coaching how has the coaching staff not been able to notice the things that we consistently see on a day-to-day basis because i know there it's you can say yes he's our guy we trust him we love him and everything but is how i just don't get it i don't know it just boggles my mind as you probably can tell by the way i'm talking right now austin do you have any i do you have any answer to this i don't have any answer no i'm in the same boat as you but i'm just laughing because it reminds me a lot of the conversations surrounding the falcons like we touched on earlier because just put Dan Quinn in James Blackman's situation and change the uh, the ownership or the the governing body of the FSE football program to that of the Atlanta Falcons. Like, you've seen what these people do for you time and time again. Dan Quinn blows late leads. Dan Quinn blows games he should not lose. James Blackman is nothing special at quarterback. He, I don't know. It's just these comparisons are making me laugh. Well, you see, Austin, I also think these comparisons are actually ridiculous because that would involve Florida State actually getting a lead to begin with. Ah, geez. Um, <laughs> good one, Sebastian. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's a, it's a real conundrum that this team is up against. And I think we've said it before when we've had this QB discussion. Who else do you go to? That's the problem. Like, who is better than James Blackman? Because if someone was better than James Blackman in practice and in the locker room, in the video, in the tape room, they would have established that already. Like, yeah. uh, Sebastian, do you have anything? I mean, uh, we were, we were. I was thinking about this before the show, and it's it's something that I've kind of thought more and more of over these past three weeks. Even though it, it started nagging at me towards the tail end of of last season, as we kind of closed the the book and on a pretty embarrassing bowl loss. And it's at what point is everything not salvageable at what point like we're, we're talking about like james blackland not being salvageable um it's a conversation that we've been we've had back and forth since deandre francois got hurt um this is a this is not I, we, we've we've we're, we're chasing our tail on this one i feel over and over again i don't i don't think like um the conversation isn't valid because it and you know there have been other options uh be them called uh horny book travis whatever um we've had this uh like at what point is well the offensive line hasn't really produced and it hasn't produced for two years now um the defensive line has suffered um last night i mean what was it three for four on fourth down conversions um at what point does like i know it's different uh because you know i've i've watched and i've covered professional leagues um for a lot longer than i have college football but at, at what point do you in air quotes kind of blow it up how do you like do you even you i I know it's different different and and not really like a one-to-one to to blowing it up at a professional level but um how deep does the the i don't want to call it a lack of culture but how how deep does that actually go before it's like okay this is completely unsalable these classes aren't savable you're completely right in that because it's the I it, I really believe it's the combination of having all these different groups of guys in there because you have the Jimbo you yeah you still have the yep. Jimbo group of guys from there you still have the Willie guys and you're starting to bring in Norvell guys so each guy is more loyal to their last and sometimes they just like why am I listening to these guys like what's up with this and it's um, it becomes a me versus him versus him versus him kind of situation where who do you trust and you really should be trusting each other because this is a team they're one program and they shouldn't be tied to these past coaches or these past regimes as some people like to call them so 
yeah, I'm more on the side of that. This thing has to start moving towards flushing out the old, bringing in the new, and let's start accepting for a few seasons for Florida State football that they aren't going to be that good. They're not going to have, quote, the better athletes. And this is something I tweeted out on uh, Saturday night. When will FSU fans and FSU media stop using the excuse Florida State, oh, well, they have the better athletes. They're going to win this game outright, no doubt about it, because we're going to get to games like NC State in a few weeks where they're looking very bad. They have Bailey Hockman as their starting quarterback as of right now. And they Florida State should win that game just outright because we keep believing they for Florida State they have the better athletes. So is there is there any way Florida State fans and media and whoever can keep using that excuse? I don't think they're after after Georgia Tech. No, no, no. This this excuse died at Florida. Uh, and this excuse died at Arizona State. Um, but uh, people brought it up again at Georgia Tech and. Uh, the offensive line was clowned. The defensive line was clowned. Um, the, I think, the past four years, you know, we I tweeted out um, a few months or two weeks ago at this point from from first year to last, I never saw Florida State win their opener at home. Nope. From first year to last, I've now not seen Florida State win against Miami. Nope. Um, and that goes for everybody in this room. Uh, Austin is a third year senior. Um, Fourth. Year. Fourth-year yep. senior? I'm sorry. Yep. Um, Gary's a fourth-year senior, and I'm a fourth-year senior. Um, we, we're, we're experiencing the growing pains right now, and um, I wonder if, if most of our class kind of shares that disillusion um, and with, with, our, with our program where it's like Florida State was not good during our tenure, which I think is actually in a, in a, in a black humor type of, type of special. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty unique. We lived through... We're living through like one of the uh, not as good periods this is, of time. This is the darkest hour yes, for Florida is, State football. This is the darkest hour that, that Florida State football has had in forty years, mm-hmm. um, going and, on fifty. And I want to kind of let's. I want to kind of quickly try and talk about Jacksonville State for a quick minute, but I want to close it out with this conversation out like this. I've been told all throughout my life in terms of playing sports and everything, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't show up. And that is what it's feeling like every single day for Florida State football for the last four years while watching and covering it here in Tallahassee. It feels like every single time they come about, they have that confidence, they have that air of, uh, that aura of smugness that they deserve to win this game. But in actuality, they really do not. Last year that was huge, wasn't it? mm -hmm, Where it was, you know, you had abominations like the turnover backpack. Among other things, but like swag surfing is an hey, example. Swag, don't don't you talk about swag surf okay. that way? Well, I'm going to talk about <laughs> swag surfing because the, the the dudes getting hyped up the most in uh, and dope week in and week out off of swag surfing were two peop- two groups of people. One was Gary Putnick, and the other one was um, the the sideline for Florida State. That's great that you're getting pumped up and everything don't, for a game. Don't you forget but, Jay Sutton, Jay the '89 veteran Jay Sutton. Well, I I don't know if Jay's judgment is uh, as good as we all think it is. After all, this is a man who likes Jeez. well done stakes. Okay, I'm, oh, I'm not yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. Shots fired at Jay. Okay, we're gonna send it to break here. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll be back next half hour with. So we'll do a quick prediction for Jacksonville State, and then we'll do uh, NBA and MLB playoffs. We'll be back in just a moment.
Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tally, the voice of Florida State. I'm Gary Punnick, joined by Austin Reynolds and Sebastian Angel Riano. We are talking predictions right now for Florida State, Jacksonville State. This should be the one big win. This should be the guaranteed win on FSU's schedule for this season. And I want to know what you guys think about this one and what if you got score predictions too. Austin, we'll start with you. I would like to be very careful with the phrase guaranteed win because that was, well, I think assumed win is what we called Georgia Tech week one, and we all know how that that game turned out. But uh, if there is an assumed win at this point, it would be Jacksonville State. So taking into account all that we've said over the past half hour, all that we've seen over the past 120 minutes of FSU football, I would still say that FSU takes this game by a score of, let me say, 27-13. I think it I think it'll be a low-scoring affair. I have, I had faith in the offense to break 20 this past game. Did not happen. They got half of that. But I think against an FCS team, it, uh, yeah, they, that's really low. Yeah. I'll, we'll get back to that one, yeah. Sebastian. Do you guys remember last year's guaranteed? Oh, this is definitely our win this year. Do you remember ULM? I was. Do you there, remember ULM? I was there with my father, the ULM alum, and that was one of the worst experiences of my life. Oh man, <laughs> that was. That if you're a if you're a Premier League fan or just English, uh, a fan of English soccer, you you would call that a banter game. Yeah, mm-hmm. where it's just um, so like they won. Full disclosure, they won that game. Remember, uh, Florida State did win that game, but it came off of a missed uh, field goal attempt at the very end in overtime against Univer- the University of Louisiana at Monroe. It wasn't just a missed field goal. It was a missed extra point in yeah. overtime. Oh, that's right. So even worse, really, in my even opinion. Even worse. Like, but you got a score for this one, and who's going to win? Good Lord. Um, I won't give you a winner, but I'll give you <laughs> 24 to 28. 24 to 28. That is really close. That is really close. Gabe, let's give it over to you right now before you got to go because I know you're in a rush. Yeah, I'm going to go with Florida State 33. Jacksonville 21 and I'm going to give another prediction real quick the offensive line is not going to allow more than three sacks and Joshua Corbin is going to have his breakout game that I've been waiting for since the offseason hype okay you heard it here first Josh Corbin offensive line Seminoles offense gets rolling there from Gabe Tisness thank you for coming on Gabe we really appreciate it today I think he's gone so all right <laughs> I'm going to hang up on him but yeah I I'm leaning more towards Gabe's prediction here. I like where Florida State is at. Or, sorry, whoops. Wow, I, that was a break. <laughs> I don't really like where Florida State is at. I like this matchup that Florida State has against Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State really has one big player coming back for them. It's their quarterback. Uh, his name is It's on the tip of my tongue right now. It is, wow, I can't remember it at the moment. But Zarek Cooper? Yes, Zarek Cooper. He, is a top, he was a top 300 recruit by ESPN's standards. Coming out of high school, he's been playing phenomenally. He had over, he had like a ridiculous amount of passing yards last year. He threw for over 3,000 yards in last season. He threw had only two games where he threw less than two touchdowns in, mm-hmm. and one of those where I believe it looked like he got hurt in that game early on. So that's it was really only one when you count it as a full game. So he's going to be a huge factor in this one, and I'm going to take FSU 35. We're gonna go. Jacksonville State Gamecocks at 22. Okay. I'm going back to my weird number predictions from last year. We're not away from that just yet. But let's go on now from FSU football. Let's talk about some other stuff right now. We got the NBA playoffs. We got the MLB playoffs going on. I'm pumped up. 
And really for me, as a South Floridian, this may have been one of the greatest sports weekends in South Florida sports history. We can throw away, we can kind of push away Miami right here. <laughs> Miami can kind of go off this uh, line. But the Dolphins won on Thursday night. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars pretty handily on Thursday night football. Woo. Yes, that was huge. The beard versus the mustache. The beard comes out victorious as Ryan Fitzmagic has one heck of a game. Then you got the Marlins clinching their first playoff first playoff spot since 2003 and I don't care what you say about it's a 60 game season it's whatever the Marlins are in the playoffs Sebastian I mean congratulations I want to say I want to say congratulations not only for making the playoffs but also for winning the World Series because as we all know the Marlins have made it to the MLB playoffs two times in their history both times world history third time World history. You just you're jinxing it, man. I I I don't like what you're doing over there. That's some bad juju being put on my fish right now. But the last thing to cap off this weekend, we can say the Canes beat the Seminoles on Saturday. That's whatever. And then Sunday, the Miami Heat, the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, take down the Boston Celtics in pretty handle, pretty nice fashion on Sunday night. And they will be taking on the man that took them to four straight finals, the man that won them two NBA finals, LeBron James and his Los Angeles Lakers, on Wednesday night. So that is going to be huge. We have the Heat Lakers, the number one seed against the number five seed, something that has not happened probably in a long time in the NBA. Mm-hmm. It's going to be it's going to be a fun series, just storyline-wise. There's so many great storylines in this whole series, but I'm pumped up for it. But let's talk a little bit about the Eastern Conference Finals and how this one all ended in between the Celtics and the Heat. The Celtics just felt like they had their chance. They needed the Heat to have another bad third quarter like they had been having. The Heat played well enough in that coming out of the break, out of half. But then the Celtics almost had their chance in the early on in the fourth quarter to take the win out of Miami's grasp and force Game 7 and maybe force the Heat to lose a 3-1, to blow a 3-1 lead, which would have been devastating. But the Heat ended up taking it. They uh, play with poise under pressure. Tyler Hero had some moments where he looked like a 20-year-old playing against the grown men of the NBA in an Eastern Conference final. But then he also had some moments where he looked like one of those grown men playing in an Eastern Conference final against some 20-year-olds. So he played phenomenally. He had some huge shots down the down to the wire. And Andre Iguodala, another man. I mean, Max Kellerman gets a lot of hate for the when the death beam is pointed at Earth, and I need someone on the court to make a shot in the finals to get their team to the next round or win them the championship. I want the ball going to Andre Iguodala. He looked like that death ray was pointed right at Earth last night for the Heat. He played well. He played well enough to get them to their next opponent, which is the Los Angeles Lakers. Austin, what, were you, what was your take on last night's game? I mean, I was obviously super impressed by Iguodala, just how he was able to turn back the clock, drop 15 points in 28 minutes. Um, the, the broadcast kept broadcast kept referring back to him as one of the key contributors in that game. And I mean, like, his leadership can't be understated, but he was never really able to have a huge impact actually on the court in, in the stat sheet until last game. And what, what better time to contribute? Because on an off night for... Uh, some of the starters, Jimmy Butler only dropped 22. He's been kind of like hit or miss in this series. He can either go off or just be quiet until the, the fourth quarter. This was really one of those games where I didn't feel like he was that big of a contributor. So getting 15 points off the bench from Iguodala was invaluable. But I mean, you mentioned Tyler Hero. 
he is one of the most impressive players in this series for me. He dropped 37 a couple games ago. You mentioned a couple of the shots in this game where he looked like he was a seasoned veteran. And, I mean, despite being only 20 years old, he's going to be one of the players I have my eyes on most heading into the finals. You know who I forgot to mention in that whole little, like, rant recap of that series, or of that game? Bam Adebayo. Yeah. I mean, he looked like those grown the grown men who should be dominating. He looked like what all these players who everyone expects to be these all-stars and just and finals, MVPs, whatever, doing their thing. He put up 32 last night. 10 defense or was that that is that's a lot of rebounds that's 27 rebounds 10 for 11 free throw line I mean or sorry 14 rebounds I was mis uh, reading some of the statistics five assists I mean he was doing everything and even down the wire he was he was the reason why this team won because when this thing got close and when the lake the Celtics were trying to make that push they had Tice on Bam Bam takes it up the court and for two or three straight possessions, while Tice is in foul trouble, he just drives it down his throat and forces him to foul. And that's, I mean, that's something that you expect Giannis Antetokounmpo to be doing. That's something you expect Ben Simmons, LeBron James, all these big names in the NBA. But instead, it's Bam. It's someone that a lot of people didn't expect to be doing this sort of thing. And he made the Celtics defense, who people have been touting this defense as one of the better defenses in the league, he made them look pretty foolish. Yeah, it was incredible, really. I mean, you, you mentioned some of the, the caliber of names that would be expected to pull off that performance against Daniel Tice and the Celtics defense. I mean, it shouldn't be too long before we start talking about Bam Adebayo being at least a, a tier below those guys, maybe not on the same tier as, say, Giannis or LeBron. But, I mean, we have to put some respect on his name before too long because this playoff run, he's been pretty much the, the guy when Jimmy Butler is off his game. And even when Jimmy's on his game, he's been the 1B to Jimmy's 1A. So he's... uh definitely one of the biggest contributors that I did not expect to see uh, pop off this playoffs. Now, one thing from this series that every, I mean, everyone expected when this thing took, when the series was kind of set in stone and it was Celtics heat, people were like, okay, great. This is the Celtics time to advance to the finals, make it the Lakers and the Celtics. We get one of the best rivalries that hasn't really been a rivalry probably since the, since Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were there mm-hmm. legitimately. And the heat just, close the door on them and it feels like the the Celtics just don't just can't get over that hump and I don't know why really maybe it's because they don't have that consistent play at big man they're forcing to play Daniel Tice who and some anonymous NBA scouts said that Bam and Tice was as a coin flip on who was going to be better back in the day when they were doing the scouting and everything but do you can you put a pin on what is really hindering the Celtics from making that jump Honestly, no. I mean, it's definitely not Brad Stevens. I think he's a fine coach, one of the better in the NBA. Um, I I just don't know because the Celtics had it. I think it was a two-point game going into the fourth quarter. Uh, It was a two-point game at halftime. They both scored the same amount of points in the third quarter. So there was just that late breakaway by Miami that nobody was able to do anything about. I mean, part of it was, as we mentioned, Bam Adebayo doing his thing, looking, uh, putting on a, a majestic performance, we could say. But, I mean, just... I don't know. I, it's That's what's tough, because this team has been to so many Eastern Conference Finals in recent memory, and they were just never able to finish the job. Uh, at the end of the day, Boston still has a ton of youth on their squad. Yes. Like they're young, and even though um, Boston has seen series playoff ex- um, success over the past uh, three or four years... Um, that youth is still long, young, or that youth is still young. This is true. <laughs> the, the youth course. is still young. <laughs> Love that. Ma- Max, um, tweet that. <laughs> this youth is still young. <laughs> big brain plays for me. 
um, they're still learning. There, there's still time for them to develop. This Miami squad, um, while also being very young, if not more young, um, has uh, leadership in place at pretty much every like level. Right there, you've got you have Pat Riley at the front office. You've got uh, Spo um, on the sidelines. You've got uh, dudes like um, established dudes like um, Jimmy Butler really driving that Miami culture uh, home. You've got. And guys who have been to the final six years in a row now, like Iggy, um, on that bench, you've got guidance. You've got um, more established talent um, giving the guidance that they need to these younger guys and uh, pushing them to get to where they are right now. Boston still, like I said, Boston still has time, um, but they're now going to have to contest with a with a Miami Heat side that we can say has arrived. Um, and it's and it it's amazing at the the turnaround, from not making it to the playoffs just by the skin of your teeth, last year, to making the NBA Finals this year. It's it's an amazing turnaround by the, um, not even a turnaround. If if you're on like the doorstep of the playoffs, I don't really call that a turnaround. If you're if you're a bottom feeder, um, I, I'd call that a turnaround, but just kind of a maturity. And um, well, with that maturity, it's crazy to see this kind of go about because. The Heat have gone through just like a roller coaster since LeBron has left Miami. Mm-hmm. Since he left, Chris Bosh had the, his blood clot complication, retired from the NBA. Dwayne Wade left to go to Chicago, to go to Chicago, and then you had Hassan Whiteside being the big name, eating up a ton of contract money and cap space. The Heat trading him, him going on his Instagram live story and saying, "We got shooters" when he's being traded to Portland. Now the Heat got the shooters. The Heat have so many shooters. We got shooters to give right now. But I want to get over to the finals now because we're starting to kind of run short on time. But let's talk about how these two teams, the Lakers and the Celtics, or the Lakers, sorry, not the Celtics. Screw the Celtics. Get the Celtics (laughs) out of here. You guys got the Celtics in my head. I want them out of it. But with the Heat and the Lakers, do which of these two teams has the best chance to really take hold of their conference down in the next few years and just lock it up and saying we are going to be the proverbial favorite every year? I would honestly, despite some of the youth that the, the Heat are working with, like I admire everything that they've accomplished in the, in the bubble so far, um, I would go with the Lakers because while LeBron is obviously not the same guy that he was when he took Miami to four straight finals, when he was dominating in Cleveland, um, he doesn't have to be that guy anymore. He has Anthony Davis, who within the next year or two, assuming he resigns, which I don't know why he wouldn't. Los Angeles is a good place to win titles of with, <laughs> with LeBron James. Um, assuming he is there for the foreseeable future, he's going to develop into that number one guy. LeBron is going to take a back seat. You've already seen it some this season. Uh, Anthony Davis is going to be the guy that's going to power the Lakers through the playoffs, and I would not be surprised if they make another finals run before LeBron retires. I might be leaning more towards the Heat on this one, not yeah. just out of bias, but with LeBron, he's going to just keep getting older, and the yeah. chance of injury keeps on rising with that age. And with the Heat, I know you can say, oh, how can you predict that Duncan Robinson's going to be able to keep this up? He's been one of the best shooters in the NBA this year, period. Tyler Hero, how do you know that this just is not an aberration? How do we know that all these guys cannot be able to keep it up? But that's the thing with this youth that they, I don't know, it's, they're hungry and it's that heat culture that we talk about day in, day out in South Florida. 
this team just keeps fighting. And these guys are all have chips on their shoulders. Duncan Robinson went to a JUCO before going to Michigan. Jimmy Butler went to a JUCO before going to Marquette. Marquette. Then you had, I know Tyler Hero and Bam, they were both Kentucky blue blood kind of guys. But even then, they felt disrespected because everyone said when they got drafted to the Heat, oh, they're not going to do anything. When Jimmy Butler went to Miami, all the Philly fans, all the whoever, Celtics, Bucks, they were all on the side of saying, why do we go down to Miami, enjoy your early retirement. And I know we were saying that about Manny Machado too and, uh, when he went to San Diego. Look where they are at now. But the Heat ceiling really can exceed what the Lakers have just because of the talent right here. I'm not saying about yep. who they'll add in free agency because I know there's a ton of rumors on who the Heat will add, who the Lakers will add. But if you take these two rosters for who they are, I'm going to take the Heat in five years. Yeah, I, I can't blame you at all, honestly. Sebastian? I know we're not taking Pat Bev in five years, that's for sure. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> the, I, I, I think you're sleeping on Boston just a little bit because I'd say four out of these past six games – were down to a shot or two shots, uh, down to a block, down to, and a, yes. dun- down and a, a dunk. <laughs> exactly. Uh, game six was the only game I think. Even game five was was pretty close all up until the very very end, where I felt like Miami were could not be denied. Miami could not be denied in the last. It wasn't like the last minute and a half where where uh, where Miami just took it and ran. It was like four and a half minutes of solid just. Boston bricking three after three after three. They're like, okay, if I get this three attempt, um, the Boston Wings were uh, had this mindset of if I can get this three in, um, then it's just going to be a five point lead. If I get this three in, it's just going to be a seven point lead. If I just get this three in, it's going to be an, only an eleven point lead. And just rinse and repeat and repeat. It was almost like Boston had lost the game. Four, uh, four minutes out from the final buzzer. But at that point, it feels like they're just taking desperation shots exactly. every single possession, right. and that's not how you win basketball games. And the, and the right. Heat, every single time they would take it up the court, they had that confidence that they knew what they were going to do with the ball before they got to the right. mid-court line. But two two shots don't go uh, Miami's way in the series, and it's like a, that was just a, a um, the series is 2-2 or even 3-2 to Boston's favor. I think the the West. It's, it's funny. As soon as you move uh, LeBron into the West, the West is wide open for LeBron. Um, well, the reason I, why the white reason why, I know you're going to give me pause and say, well, what about Golden State? Because yes. Golden State is still there. The thing is, is that Golden State is is kind of a uh, an unknown variable because we don't know where they're going to be um, once all their pieces are back on the court. Uh, we know exactly where Boston is going to be next year. We know exactly where. Uh, Miami is going to be next year um, in terms of being in on the on the food chain in the East. They're going to be at the top with uh, with Golden State. We don't know how they're they're going to be going into like a playoff picture. We don't know what they're going to look like um, a year on from now. Whenever we 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 do the bubble two, if that has to happen, mm-hmm. it, it's and, and it's just because of that that I pick the Lakers over the Heat. We we know what the Heat are going to deal with, and we know that they can deal with that. We don't know. Um, we we don't know. Like, we don't know how the West will respond yeah. to LeBron James either winning another Finals or losing another Finals. Doc exactly, because we did see today with the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, Doc Rivers is out as the head coach. So there might be some questions starting to come up with their roster and who goes where. Because maybe rumor has it that Kawhi Leonard decides to up and leave LA in a few years. Who knows? Or he starts to request a trade like he did with San Antonio, but. I want to get on to predictions for this series. Who you got and why? Austin? 
I got Lakers in six. I mean, I, I love both teams. LeBron is one of my favorite players. The Lakers are my favorite team in the West. Jimmy Butler is one of my favorite players. <laughs> I saw that. Jimmy Butler is one of my favorite players in the league. Um, and as, as it, it might be heresy to say this as a Hawks fan, but I like the Heat. I love what they've been doing. But, I mean, I would go to like Lakers just because they have the size to potentially shut down some of the great perimeter shooting that, the, that Miami can offer. Um, I know that was a big question mark before the playoffs. Like, the Lakers were one of the worst teams defending the three in the bubble, but they've been able to rebound really nicely from those that slander that has been tossed at them. And I am predicting LeBron gets his fourth ring. Sebastian, who are you like and why? Keep, let's keep it moving. Um, well, being being a Florida boy, I like the and I obviously like the Heat more, but um, I'm gonna try and curse. I'm gonna well, see now that I've said I, I want to curse. You say it. that you can't. Yeah, say I can't that. say that. You can't. You can't um, say it if you're going to try and yeah, do the see, knock on wood whatever thing. You can't. This is say what I get for, do, for being it. a homer of a team that's not even from my town. Ah, God dang it! I, I okay. Uh, Who you got? You've got <laughs> you've got the size in in LA. You've got the winning pedigree in LA. You've got um, role players that are doing the work that they need to do in LA. Um, you've got um, in Miami uh, a whole collection of role players who know exactly what they do and they fit together like a fine Swiss watch. Who do I have? Um, is is Bam bigger than than AD? I don't think so. No, no, no AD is bigger. Yeah. Um, th- this last series um, that LA played and, and the Dallas series, the Nuggets series and the uh, the Dallas series kind of proved what happens when you put um, AD and just bigger players against small ball, and it, it doesn't really work as well as you would like it to. So with that in mind, I, I think the the Lakers kind of pull ahead for three game um, or get like a, a sizable lead in the series, like three games, three games to one or something like that. Miami holds on for a game, and then they lose. All right, so you're taking Lakers, Lakers and six. six as well. That's a very right. roundabout way to say Lakers and yes. six. Yeah. All right, but so, but it, it's it's not like a okay. This is going to be a back and forth, back and forth. It might you might see three games at the very beginning come down to a shot. Yeah, because that's what happened. Not only not only the Heat series, but also in the Nuggets series, where games went down to a shot. AD clutched it out, um, p- particularly. Um, I have not been. This is me kind of reconciling with myself because i have not given ad the respect that he deserves over the course of the season but he is i have completely changed my mind on him through this bubble but long story short yeah lakers, lakers. in six all right lakers in six i'm not taking the lakers i'm telling you not. that right now of course not. i'm not doing it i was gonna do it just to be the rational person in the another rational person in this room but i can't i cannot go against my heat i'm taking the heat in seven because the heat have the culture, and I don't. I know Spoken you're saying like it's, it's eighty. It's eighty. It's LeBron. We have the unknown variables. We have if the Heat can shoot like they did last night. They shot forty percent, I believe, forty eight percent from three against the Boston Celtics. If they can do that consistently, obviously that's almost impossible. That's way too tall of an order right there. But if they can shoot and if they can play solid defense like they have been all series, all playoffs, they legitimately have a chance to take down the Lakers. And people I know that you say, oh, how are you going to stop a? How are you going to stop all these teams? How are you going to even score on these teams? The Heat have played some of the best defensive teams in the league. We played the Heat have played the Bucks, and they've also played the Celtics. Team people who they tout, who the media touts as these defensive powerhouses. So if the Heat have been able to do this against those teams, I believe they're going to be able to stand up in LeBron's face and say, we are not afraid. 
And it's really the whole, I think it's really the whole mentality of South Florida. They're not afraid of King James. We have had King James on our team and they're not afraid of him one bit. I think, I think that is, I'd agree with that where the win condition is if you can bully the Lakers out to the perimeter uh, where they don't feel comfortable shooting. Cause you know, there's, there's been multiple games this, um, this um, playoffs where they'll go, you know, on losses, which there aren't a lot of, they'll go 27 from the, 27% shooting from the perimeter. Uh, it's happened in their wins too, but um, uh, with a game with a team like the Heat, if they can keep suppress uh, them to be on the arc, I think there's a win condition there. All right, we got to keep it moving now. We got to get to the MLB playoffs because they start tomorrow night. We have a lot of baseball. Wednesday, Wednesday is going to be a packed house of baseball. I believe it's like seven or eight games all from like noon to ten o'clock at yeah. night. You got games starting, so that's going to be a ton of fun. There's 16 teams in this year's playoffs, more than they have been every other year. So it is going to be a wild ride. They're both team, or was it top teams from each division, the top two teams from each division, and then two wild cards from each division. So let's go through it quickly. First off, what do you guys just think of the expanded playoffs, and do you want them to stick? I think it's a fine fix for this season because you're, you're cutting the season to 60 games. That's 102 less than a normal season. You want to give some opportunities to teams that could have made a late season surge in a normal season. Um, so I think 16 teams is fine for now. But the way that I've heard Rob Manfred, commissioner of MLB, and some others talk about how much they think this is a great move moving forward, that kind of rubs me the wrong way because there are some teams in this playoffs that are under 500. And so much of the allure of MLB playoffs, the 10-team the system, is that no bad teams get in, theoretically. Like, it is the cream of the crop. So here you're letting in teams that are 29 and 31. They won less games than they lost. So, I mean, it's honestly looking like the NBA. And people people rag on the NBA for letting the 7 and 8 seeds in. Um, so I would like to see this go away after this season but i'm fine with it being here for 2020 i agree with that i really don't want it to stay around i'd like to just keep it back to our normal the two wild cards i love having two yes. wild cards the wild card game is a ton of fun and really worth it but let's just get back to what we had before for 162 but let's keep going on here so for once for once in our whole lives i think or for once in almost forever yeah all three of us we got rays braves and marlins here in this room between sebastian uh austin and myself we are all, all of our teams are in the playoffs right now. The, Marlin, the Marlins are the sixth seed. The Braves are the two seed in the East, or the NL. And then the Rays are the one seed. I'm the odd man out. I'm not a top two. <laughs> the Marlins aren't the top two seed right now in either of their leagues. Imagine not winning your division. Well, hey, imagine, imagine finishing below, five, below 500 and still making the playoffs. Couldn't be the Marlins. Hey, so that's great for them. But which series are you guys most excited about? Uh, why? And why? Other than your teams. Other than my teams, um, I got to give a shout out to. Well, I can't really shout out anybody here, but I, I want to say um, the A's and Sox. Uh, the Sox are like a team that is ignored by by many in national coverage, uh, specifically like such as uh, one. Never mind. But um, the team is exciting. Uh, the A's will be good with or without uh, Matt Chapman. I I believe that that is the series to watch in the the inner quotes wild card. Uh, stage. Austin, let's keep it quick. I was going to say the exact same thing. I mean, if I had to pick three Boink. series that I'm looking at, I mean, it would be the the three series that our teams are a part of, so I can't go that route. But the A's, they've been a nice story. They've never been able to get it done in year, in recent years. And then the Sox, like uh, Sebastian said, they've kind of played second fiddle to the Cubs, especially with their recent upbringing um, in recent years with their World Series. So, I mean, there's a lot of good storylines heading into there. I don't think either of them comes out the American League, but it'd be a fun series to watch. 
I, I, the one series that I'm most excited to watch is the Padres and the Cardinals. Okay. They're, that's the four and five matchup in the NL. I love the hitters that San Diego has, and that's why I was yes. deathly afraid of having the Marlins take on them in that first round because the Marlins, when it comes to giving up big numbers, they can do that. So I'm going to love watching the hitters in that series. But quickly, who wins, or which two teams in the World Series and who wins? Dodgers and Rays. Dodgers win. They are playing lights out. Sebastian? Mm, excuse me. Uh, I, I, I'll abstain from the AL because, you know, that worked last time. Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> But I, I do think it's the Dodgers can no longer be denied, unfortunately. It would pain me to see that. Uh, no disrespect, uh, Chris Camacho. But, uh, yeah, I think this this, this time it's, it's undeniable for the Dodgers. I'm with you guys. It's the Dodgers' time. I had them at the beginning of the season when we were picking this. Dodgers beat the Twins in okay. the World Series. Okay. I love the Twins. I love the hitters they have. I think they can do it this season. But that's all we got for myself, for Austin, for Sebastian, for Max on Twitter, and Gabe calling in early on the show. Thank you all for listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll see you next week.